Our scripture reading today will come from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 11. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. That's page 243 in your pew Bibles. Again, that's 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Then Elkna, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look after the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Good morning. It is so good to be together today. Look around the room. It is awesome seeing it so full. A lot of guests that are with us today and we welcome you. We're glad that you're with us. If you're looking for a church family, we really hope that this can be your church home. We hope we can help you find a place in God's family here at Mount Juliet. And if you haven't been told, I think you already have, but this doesn't need to be the first time you've heard this today. It is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day. I hope that didn't surprise you when you walked in this morning. Uh, but we are so glad that you're with us today. And speaking of mothers, yesterday we hosted our single mom's car care clinic, and it was a fantastic day. It's something we've been doing every year, I think, for probably seven years or so, and uh, it was another fantastic day. A lot of people have been blessed by that event over the years. Truthfully, there's no way we could host an event that would truly honor and acknowledge the tremendous amount of work and responsibility that it takes to be a single mother. We understand that. Some of you here know firsthand just how challenging that that is, but it's our hope that in some small way, we're able to show that we care and that we do love and appreciate what these women are trying to do. 24 mothers were helped. It was a full day of appointments, a full slate, uh, where mothers were able to come and have their cars checked out and looked at, inspected, uh, and tuned up all for free by some of our mechanics here. We're grateful for those men. And their cars were also washed while they were here, while they were wait waiting. And uh, the moms even got manicures. I think some of the daughters, I don't think any of the sons, uh, but some of the daughters got manicures as well. Uh, four of the mothers, how great is this? Four of the mothers let us know that, that they're looking for a church home. And four others expressed interest in having a Bible study. We're also excited that many more have asked for information on the church here about the activities and the family of God here at Mount Juliet. I'm told that the youth group did a fantastic job out as they usually do. And along with several others, you'll see some that are in the pictures, but not everybody who is in the, in the pictures, um, not everybody who is involved is in those pictures. And so we want to say a, a big thank you, a tremendous uh, thank you to those who helped pull that day off, uh, especially to Martin and Stephanie Porter and to Joe and Tracy Cowan, uh, along with John Michael Kennedy and his leadership. Uh, we're blessed here. And that's just one of the many ways. We want to do our best to show God's love to our neighbors 
and it's just a small way that we can do that here in Mount Juliet. So let's continue to, to work hard for the Lord, to give Him the glory, and continue to reach out and encourage those who are looking for Him and looking for the support of a loving church family. I remember as a kid, maybe I'm a weird kid, but I remember as, as a little kid always dreading that first day of school. Anybody else like that? And one of the reasons that I dreaded my first day of school uh, was because on the first day, I had this fear that the teacher was going to blindside everybody and give us a pop quiz. A pop quiz on the first day of everything we were supposed to know about the grade that we were in, like fifth grade, for instance. What if she gives us this pop quiz and, and none of us know anything that, that's on this test and we all fail because nobody's prepped us for it. Nobody's given us the questions or the answers and we don't really know what's expected. Isn't it awesome that with God there are no... I get an amen for that. <laughs> Isn't it awesome that, that God doesn't... That ultimate blind side, that, that pop quiz... Like a, like a thief in the night. Like no one knows when it's coming except for the teacher. Um, God tells us everything that we need to know. He has great expectations for his children, for his people. And that's what we've been talking about all year long. What does God expect of his people? We talked about how we must first choose God. And we look at Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, and, and we see that, that God also wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. He expects his children to live truth. John 17, 17 says that his word is truth. And so God expects us to be living, breathing testaments of his love and of his word, of his truth. He expects us to bear fruit. And I guess if I'm going to talk about this, I've got to do the official David Shannon sign language of the series, right? Where Christ is the vine, right? And we are the branches and we are connected to the vine. That's what God wants. This is the, this is the official sign language. You can do it with me if you want. The vine, the branches. And, and all we have to do is abide in the vine, right? And what happens? We bear fruit. That's the way God designed it in nature. It's the way he designed it in our spiritual walk with God. This month, we're talking about God's expectation that he expects us to connect for life. You know, there are very few connections in life that really last. You notice that? There are very, very few connections in life that, that are lifelong. We're having the great adventure of potty training Holly, our two-year-old girl right now. I'm going to be careful what I say to you. Don't worry. Breathe easy. But um, Holly, we, we've discovered that Holly loves the Muppets. Remember the Muppets, Kermit and Miss Piggy and Fozzie and Gonzo? And, uh, and so... We had this idea, we bought all of these Muppet figurines and we, we set the box out uh, just out of her reach but where she could see it because we're cruel parents, right? And, uh, and we, we put it there and so every day we would tell her, okay, if you don't have any accidents today, you can have the Muppets. Okay, that's motivation, all right? So, so she's working towards it and, and, and finally, finally she had that, that day and she was so excited and, and finally that connection was made. Holly and the Muppets were brought together and uh, she could finally embrace the Muppets that she'd wanted for so long and she was so excited, she was so pumped up uh, to finally be able to play with the Muppets. 
And then on Thursday of this week, I'm, I'm home with, with Holly, and Holly and I are about to go uh, get in the car and pick up Lucas from school, and, and she looks at me with those big brown eyes, and she says, Daddy, can I take the Muppets with me? Well, that's not my first rodeo. I know better than to let my kids take every single toy that they want to take with them somewhere, right? That's a, a recipe for disaster because they're going to lose them all. So I kind of would compromise and say, hey, you, you can take one of your Muppets. Okay, okay, Daddy. I want to take Miss Piggy because she's my favorite. All right, okay, you can take Miss Piggy. So, so we get in, in the car and Miss Piggy gets in the car with us and we, we go and we pick up Lucas from school and, and the entire time I'm watching because I know Holly pretty well and I know that, that she's going to drop Miss Piggy. I know this. And so we get Lucas and we get back in the car and we get back home and we get back out of the car and, and lo and behold, Miss Piggy is gone. Miss Piggy is missing. And I look everywhere in the car, no Miss Piggy. I call Jody Marble, who works here at the office with me, and I call him and I say, hey, I've got a big favor to ask. Can you go in the parking lot of the church and see if Miss Piggy's there? Because that's a question that you hear every day, right? And uh, he looks around in the parking lot and no Miss Piggy. I text Miss Tina Edwards and Miss Emily Harper, the teachers at school, and and uh, at preschool, and I think, well, maybe Holly dropped Miss Piggy when, when we went and picked up Lucas. No no sign of Miss Piggy. Holly wakes up from her nap on Thursday and the first thing she says with tears in her eyes, Miss Piggy is gone. She's just crying. It's Friday now. Laura's having a stressful morning filled with the likes of downtown Nashville traffic and running all over the place and running late for an appointment. And of course, right on cue, as it always happens with kids, Holly in her car seat, driving down the road, erupts apple juice all over the place. And so Laura pulls over, gets the kids out, and runs into Target to buy a new outfit for Holly because she's completely drenched. And so they get back in the car, and as she's buckling Holly back into her car seat, Holly says, Miss Piggy. And Laura says, I know, baby, we'll get you a new one. Holly says, Miss Piggy. And Laura looks down, and there she is, Miss Piggy. I'm happy to report to you this morning that Holly and Miss Piggy have been reunited, and it, and it feels so good. And Miss um, Piggy has returned to her family with Kermit and Fozzie and Animal and the rest of the gang. Uh, it, she's a happy child, and we're all excited in our house. There are very, very few connections in life that last. Maybe when you were a kid, you had that, that toy that you never wanted to let go of, but you got a little bit older, and that connection changes, doesn't it? That kid that, that you were in elementary school that was your, your BFF, and maybe you wrote that in, in their yearbook, and you said, best friends forever, are they still your best friend? Or have they become, as the terms that we use, oh, a, a buddy of mine from high school, or a friend of mine from elementary school, or my best friend in college, relationships change. We know that. Truthfully, there are very few connections in life that last. One of the exceptions, though, the connection of family. Family is meant to be one of those few exceptions. You're always connected in some way. Mothers and sons, daughters, fathers, brothers, sisters, grandparents, grandchildren. And the family of God is supposed to be the same way. It's no different. When we're baptized into Christ, we're, we're meant to be connected 
for life and we, we walk with him. We are his children and he is our father and we are brothers and sisters in Christ and those relationships represent connections. Think about this. Those relationships, these relationships represent connections that will last through eternity. Anybody else but me take that for granted sometimes. We get so distracted and we walk in here on a Sunday morning or, or a Wednesday night or a Sunday evening. Does it cross your mind that the people that are in this room are people that you have the opportunity to know forever? Wow, that's awesome. What an opportunity we have here to build relationships that will go into eternity. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read a powerful story. It's one of those stories that, that the more I studied it, I just, I just said, wow, over and over. And I hope that more comes out this morning than just me saying wow over and over. And I studied this and it's a story about one of those rare lasting connections between a mother and her child. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1 this morning, starting in verse 1. There was a man of Rephathim Zophim of the country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, He would give portions to Hannah, his wife, to Peninnah, his wife, I'm sorry, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Three characters. Elkanah, the the patriarch of the family, the man with with two wives. Hannah, the, the wife of Elkanah who's not able to bear children. And the other wife, Peninnah, who does have sons and daughters. Every year this family would would take a trip to worship and sacrifice at Shiloh. It it should have been a time of of great blessing. It should have been a time of of great rejoicing for this family, a time of, of thanksgiving to look back and maybe over the course of the past year to look back and to count the blessings that the family would be able to share together. But that's not how at all how Peninnah decided to celebrate the holiday. Instead, Peninnah circled that date on the calendar And she used that family trip every year to make Hannah miserable. Maybe you've got a family member like that, that seems to love to thrive on making other people in the family miserable. Every year, this happens. And don't you know that that time of sacrifice for Elkanah's family, that yearly family vacation, I guess, that yearly trip to Shiloh, surely it became a day on the calendar that Hannah began to dread. We don't know exactly what Peninnah said to Hannah, but the Bible calls her Hannah's rival who would provoke her to the point where it grieved her 
to irritate her. It even says that she irritated Hannah because the Lord had closed her womb. So picture this. They're on their way to worship God, and Peninnah says, hey, Hannah, guess what? It's that time of year again. Our favorite time of the year as a family, you know, that time of the year where we go to sacrifice to our God. Oh, you know, the God that made you so that you can't have a baby. Do you hate Peninnah yet? What a jerk. What a bully. We don't know what she said, but we know that she was good at it. We know that she was good at getting under Hannah's skin. In fact, it, it caused her a tremendous amount of pain, so much so that it got to a point in this story where Hannah would not even eat. All she would do is cry. Elkanah doesn't seem to really get that. He doesn't seem to really understand. Hannah, why are you sad? Just, just eat. You'll feel better. And hey, count your blessings. Shoot, I'll even, I'll even get the, the list started for you. You just go ahead and, and on blessings one through ten, you just write my name down because I'm the kind of husband that's as good to you as ten sons is. You know? We'd all do well to remember that on today there are a lot of hurting people. Today is a day that's set aside to, to celebrate and, and honor motherhood, and, and we should. The Bible tells us to do that, to honor our father and mother. But there are some people who don't, who don't feel like celebrating today. There's some people that, that don't feel that joy and time of celebration. I got a couple of friends who a couple of days ago were very excited because up until then they were expecting their first child. Today's going to be a hard day. Another buddy of mine who lost his mom this past week. It's going to be a hard Mother's Day. Listen, if today you don't feel like feasting, that's okay. If today you don't feel like celebrating, that's okay. If today is a day where you need to shed a few tears, that's okay to, today too. If it doesn't feel like a day where you can be excited, that's okay. It doesn't do anybody any good for someone to tell us how to feel because you feel how you feel. You feel me? Today, let's be mindful and let's be considerate of those who might look at this day a little bit differently and celebrate it a little bit differently than you do. Verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. 
I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you'd do anything to get it? You ever wanted something so much that you'd do anything to have it? Charlie Daniels made a lot of money on that story, didn't he? The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. It tells the tale of, of Johnny who wanted that golden fiddle so badly that he would do what? Potentially sell his soul to the devil. The Walt Disney Company, next slide I think. The Walt Disney Company would tell the story of Ariel, the little mermaid, right? And it's very hard to find a, uh, an appropriate picture to show of Ariel, but there she is. But uh, there's a picture of Ariel, and what does that represent? Well, it tells the story of, of a girl who wanted so, so much, so badly, she wanted to become a part of, of the human's world, the life above the sea, that, that she would even sell her voice to Ursula, the sea witch. Hannah knew what it was like to want something so much in a very real way, and those are just fairy tales, but in a very real way, Hannah knew that desire. She knew that, that she wanted a baby so much that she would do anything to get it. More than anything else, that's what she wanted. Hannah wanted a baby, and in verse 11, she pours out her, her heart to God, and, and it's in this tearful prayer that Hannah takes a vow year after year. Thousands of people stand before God and make their marriage vows. And year after year, thousands of people stand before God and break their marriage vows. Ultimately, a, a vow is a word that, that probably gets lost on us a little bit. It's a word that, in reality, the word vow is, is a really powerful word. It's a word that's supposed to mean something. It's a word that, that isn't meant to be thrown around. It's, it's a serious pledge, a word that, that seems to even to almost go a step beyond the word promise. I looked it up, and it, really it's that idea of having a solemn promise, a vow, a lasting, binding commitment, a connection for life. And this is the part of the story that blows my mind. The part that just causes me to go wow because I can't wrap my mind around it. It's the beauty in Hannah's vow. Here it is one more time in verse 11. She vowed a vow to the Lord and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She says, Lord, if you'll give me a son, if you'll give me this baby, I'll give him to you. There's something different about this vow. There's something that's so different in this vow than the way that we like to bargain with God. Lord, if you just, if you just help me out just this one time, I'll never do this again. Lord, if you just, if you just answer my prayer this time... I, this will be the last time you have to bail me out. I won't ask for anything else again. Lord, if you just give me this, then I'll be happy. Lord, if you just help me get this job, it'll, it, it's going to be great for my career. Father, please give me this baby so that Penina will, will stop tormenting me. No. Hannah's vow is different. 
It's more beautiful than that for a lot of reasons. Here's a few. Number one, the vow revealed her love for God. It revealed her love for God. She would not allow her heart's strongest desire. This is amazing. She would not allow her heart's strongest desire, the thing that she wanted more than anything else, she would not allow that thing, that child, to become an idol or a snare to her. This child that she wanted more than anything else in this world was the very thing that she was willing to turn around and give up because she loved God that much. Number two, the vow's different because, and it's beautiful because... It's a vow that mirrors the giving nature of God. What a powerful example of the giving nature of God. She says, she says to God, Lord, please give me this so I can give you this. Wow, isn't that so much like God? Isn't that so much like the way that God gives? I think that's what makes Hannah's story so beautiful. It's, she's very much like God in her giving. God gives that way, doesn't he? Give me this so I can give you this. Give me your life so what? So I can give you life. Give me your burdens so I can give you rest. Give me your blessings and I will multiply your blessings. And you gotta love this. How beautiful is this passage when you connect it to the life of Hannah and the word that she uses herself, the word anxiety in verse 16. Philippians 4, which I think was read right before our prayer and I didn't ask the guy to do that, that was awesome. Do not be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God says, give me your anxious, tearful prayers, and I will give you peace. Wow. Why else is it a beautiful vow? Hannah's vow is beautiful because it demonstrated that more than anything else, she wanted her child to be connected to the Lord all the days. Remember the great expectation? Connecting for life. Now we hear that and we, we sort of nod in agreement. Yeah, that's awesome. What an awesome thing. Hannah wanted her son to be connected to the Lord all the days of his life. And we sort of nod and we're, we, we might even say amen. That's great. That's a great point. But let me ask you this. Mothers in the room, how many of you would take Hannah's vow? Fathers in the room, none of you would do it because your wife would kill you, right? How many of us would sign off on that kind of vow? Where we would turn around and, in effect, give our child up. Not forsake them, but give them over to a service like that. I'm not a mother, but I can't imagine saying, okay, Lord, when... When my son is two years old, I'm going to take him out of my house and he's going to come and he's going to live in the temple. But that's what Hannah did. We don't know the exact age, but we know that when the child was weaned, he was very, very young when Hannah fulfilled her vow. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Remember Hannah's prayer in verse 11 where she says to God, remember me. God answers that prayer. Verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And when she brought him to the house of the Lord and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. 
And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And here's 1 Samuel 2, verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. It's beautiful. Samuel's story, just like so many of our stories in this room, is owed in part to the faithful, godly mother who wanted him to connect with the Lord for life. It had to be heartbreaking to have your little boy grow up in another home from an early age. That had to be such a, a tough vow for Hannah to keep. And this wasn't an idea that God had. This is Hannah committing herself to God because she loved him that much. On the bright side, here's Shiloh on the map. Here's Shiloh on the map, maybe. There it is, okay. You look really closely. You can see where Shiloh is on the map. And nobody knows exactly where Ramah was located. But there's two different maps, and it's in two different places on the map. But both, both maps show it to be about a 15-mile distance from each other. The good news, if you're Hannah, is that your child is not living in China, all right, thousands of miles away. He's only a few minutes away. We don't know how often that Hannah made that trip to Shiloh, but I have a feeling it was several times. And I have a feeling that it made those trips to Shiloh a whole lot sweeter. Those trips that Hannah used to dread so much became a different kind of trip. 1 Samuel 2.18 Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Isn't he cute? And his mother would make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And this part of the story always kind of makes me laugh. I, I picture Hannah going up to the temple and maybe this present wrapped for Samuel and year after year Samuel opens it and he says, thanks mom, and it's another robe, you know. Verse 20, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give your children, give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. As we get ready to start wrapping this lesson up, I want to very quickly draw attention to the man that Samuel would grow on to become. His mother wanted him to be connected to the Lord for life, and, and that's exactly who Samuel was. And that's exactly what he committed himself to do. He was, it's sort of incredible, I think. I think we, we sort of forget how incredible that Samuel was. He's sort of an underrated Bible character. But check this out, real fast. 1 Samuel 2.26. The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature 
and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Does that sound familiar to you? It's very similar to the way that the Word of God reads in Luke 2.52 where it describes the manner in which Jesus grew up where he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 1 Samuel 3.19 And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established at the prophet, as a prophet of the Lord. He began to get very popular. People knew who he was because of his faithfulness. 1 Samuel 7, 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. How cool is that? Connected for life, all the days of his life. I was talking to John Michael about Samuel this past weekend, and he pointed out that Samuel was, was that judge, was that bridge that would serve to lead the nation out out of chaos, the nation of Israel, out of chaos and into a time of peace eventually. It was Samuel who, who was the first one to get very angry when the people demanded a king instead of God being their king. It was Samuel who was very, very angry and, and cried out all night in prayer to God over the foolishness of King Saul when he rejected God as his king. But the Lord wasn't done in writing Samuel's chapters of his life. He showed Samuel a different kind of king. He wanted to show Samuel the anointing of a different king, a king that wasn't concerned about winning the hearts of the people, but a king that was concerned about winning God's heart. And it's Samuel who gets to anoint David as king. And after a while, and for a while, Samuel disappears. We read great stories like, David and Goliath, and we read about the great friendship between Jonathan and, and David, and we read about David becoming the people's champion who, who kind of wins the hearts of everybody in Israel, and he gets to marry a princess, and he, he, he gets to be the son-in-law to, to God's anointed King Saul. And then the story takes a terrible turn as Saul, overcome with jealousy, begins to come after David, and David becomes a fugitive, a man on the run. And where does David turn? 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel. And where's Samuel living? Ramah. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. When David ran from Saul, who'd he go to see? A faithful man by the name of Samuel. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 1, Samuel dies, and, and all of Israel comes together to mourn after this great man, and they bury him in that city of Ramah, the city where his mother and father dwelt. How did the Lord look upon Samuel? In Jeremiah 15, verse 1, a very beautiful verse that shows you how God looked at Samuel. The Lord said to me, that's Jeremiah talking, the Lord said to me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, Yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. I know it's kind of a bad news verse, but it's, it shows you something about Samuel's life, doesn't it? He's mentioned in the same breath as Moses, one of God's great prophets. He's mentioned again in Hebrews 11, verse 32, the, the hall of faith. What do we learn from all this? I call these life lessons. What, what's the takeaway? So what? What's the point of all this lesson? Number one, I think it's pretty awesome that Peninnah mocked Hannah for what she didn't have, but in reality, it was Hannah who had something Peninnah did not have, a deep, meaningful relationship with her God.
Number two, what else is great about this story? Elkanah reminds us to allow people to grieve however they need to grieve. It's not about eating a meal and feeling better. It's not about celebrating because everybody else around you is celebrating. Let people grieve how they need to grieve. Number three, Hannah teaches us to pray. She took her grief and her anxieties to the Lord and she casted her cares on him. Number four, Hannah's vow revealed her love for God. It mirrored the giving nature of God and it demonstrated more than anything else that she wanted her child to be connected to the Lord all the days of his life. Do you love God? Do you love your children like that? Number five, Samuel's story began with a godly mother who loved the Lord more than anything else. And that's the kind of faith that was instilled in him. She was connected to the Lord for life, and so was he. Mothers, fathers, I don't stand before you today as the smartest guy in the room. I don't stand before you today as a guy who's got loads and loads of wisdom. I don't have a lot. But I stand before you as a guy who's spent the past nine and a half years of my career in youth ministry where I work with kids. If you want your kids to connect with God for life, it starts with you. It starts at home. And if you say that you want to connect for God, connect with God for life, but that's not really what you're communicating, then you're communicating mixed signals. And when you communicate mixed signals, you communicate mixed signals to your kids. It's connecting, if connecting with God is, is not all that important all the time, then you're communicating that connecting with God is not really all that important all the time. If we want our children to be connected to the Lord for life, we've got to be all in. Anything less, God doesn't ask for. Hannah's sacrificial kind of love, does it remind you of anybody? It's a reminder of our father's love. One who loved his only son so much, yet was willing to give him up for a greater purpose. He loved his son that much. He, he gave him up and he loved us that much so that he could give us eternal life. That's the beauty of the gospel. Connected for life. This morning, maybe you haven't been connected with God. Maybe that con commitment you made to God in the waters of baptism, maybe you wanted that to be a lifelong commitment, but you've wandered away. You haven't felt connected to God lately. Or maybe you've never made that connection. Maybe you've never connected with God and connected with the blood of, of Jesus Christ, his son, in the waters of baptism where our sins are washed away. That's a connection that can last for life. The blood of Christ continually washes away our sins if we will walk in the light as he is in the light. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful to forgive us. If we can help you in any way, we want to. And we ask you to come.